This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. Isn't the point of traveling to get away from it all, to feel the best you've ever felt? Then maybe you should check out Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. When your trip comes to an end, you won't need another vacation because you just had the vacation. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Hello and welcome to the Northern Agenda podcast, coming to you from Reach, the people behind the Newcastle Chronicle and Journal, Lancashire Live and the Hull Daily Mail. If you want to know what's going on in Northern politics from a Northern perspective, you're in the right place. I'm Northern Agenda editor Rob Parsons on a brief respite back at home in Leeds between the party conferences of Labour in Liverpool and the Conservatives in Birmingham. And on this week's episode, we'll be looking forward to the Tory annual gathering with John Stevenson, the new chair of the Northern Research Group, who will be putting pressure on the government to get the issue of levelling up back on the agenda. And I've been speaking to Labour's Liverpool City Region Mayor, Steve Rotherham, looking back on the party conference in his own city and reflecting on what Sir Keir Starmer's clean energy promises could mean for Merseyside. But first, let's get the view of where both the main parties stand with a journalist who's seen one or two party conferences in this time, John Walker. John's previous roles include being Westminster editor at the Newcastle Chronicle and also the Birmingham Mail, but he is now deputy political editor for The Express. John, welcome along. Hi, thank you very much for having me. I should just say uh, it's a Sunday Express. I have to say that, otherwise I'll be told off by my colleagues on the well, paper. But that, that is, that is my, fault. my fault no, for poor research. Deputy political editor for the Sunday Express. Well, uh, either way, um, it's there's a lot to digest, isn't there, during conference season? Like it's uh, Our guest, Kevin Maguire from The Mirror last week, was called Conference is a a festival, a festival of politics, which I guess not everyone, not everyone enjoys. Uh, but uh, I think it's going to be interesting, isn't it, to see the difference between what was quite a calm Labour conference and uh, the atmosphere that we might expect in Birmingham for the Tory conference. I mean, what what are you expecting to to, to find when you get to Birmingham? Well, I mean, Labour was very calm uh, in contrast to some Labour conferences I've been to in the past, and uh, people were very upbeat without being too jubilant and nobody wants to be accused in the Labour Party of taking the next election for granted or counting their chickens before they're hatched. I think with the Tories we're going to see something slightly different. Um, We're going to see people sort of insisting that they're very calm and relaxed when perhaps they're not because um, it all seems to have gone horribly wrong for Liz Truss and uh, her government in recent days. Um, it, It remains to be seen if what's happening in the uh, in, in the markets in the city really is going to last. There's a lot of 
experts out there at the moment telling us that they know what's going to happen. I don't think anybody really knows what's going to happen. But clearly there's a sense that things have gone horribly wrong. And uh, those Conservative MPs who didn't back Liz Truss, and of course she never was the favourite candidate of uh, the Conservative MPs in the party. She won the leadership because of uh, the vote of party members. A lot of them are going to be rather quietly, but um, nonetheless... uh, insistently whispering in the ears of journalists that uh, they told us so and that they've been proved right, I suspect, because what's gone wrong for this government is to do with uh, the uh, effect that uh, dramatic tax cuts have had and uh, reversing some of the decisions that uh, Rishi Sunak made. So it's not just that they're encountering difficulties, it's that the difficulties they're encountering seem to be directly related to the arguments made during the leadership contest and what her opponents said about her, what her opponents within the party said about her and her policies um, seems to be coming true, which is uh, twice as bad as just things going wrong. If uh, what's going wrong is what your critics said was going to go wrong, then that really does give them cause to um, to, to feel that, uh, that they were right. But I, I think the government and the leadership is going to be quite keen to talk up what they've done to say that they made the right decision in um, uh, helping people with their energy bills, which is a big part of the problem because it's going to cost a lot of money. And I think one of the issues at the moment is people are asking, how are you going to pay uh, for all that work you're doing when at the same time you're cutting taxes? But they're going to want to defend that quite vigorously and sort of take on the arguments head on. But they're also going to be trying to talk about uh, the other things that they're planning to do, which aren't connected to finance and uh, the economy, um, such as uh, trying to reduce waiting lists in the NHS. There was a statement in the House of Commons on the health service um, just before Parliament broke up for the recess, dealing with immigration, which is uh, one of the big issues for the party. And uh, so MPs say a huge issue for voters, people across the country. Um, so Conservative MPs believe, and they might be right, are worried about people come over here in so-called small boats across the channel. So she's going to want to talk about what she's doing in that regard. And the um, levelling up agenda, whether or not people still use the phrase levelling up, I'm not sure if we're going to hear that phrase used quite so much, but the policy is still there. And of course, as part of the government's growth plan, um, as they call it, which included the tax cuts, uh, and I'm sure that you've, uh, I know that you've written about this in the Northern Agenda newsletter, uh, there were plans to push ahead with big infrastructure spending, uh, both on sort of fairly local but very important uh, transport projects, um, new rail services, reopening old rail stations, that sort of thing, uh, pressing ahead with Northern Powerhouse Rail, and it'd be interesting to see if the government does simply carry on with sort of Boris Johnson's plan, which was a downgrade in Northern Powerhouse Rail, or if they revisit that, but they've said that that's going to be a priority, and measures to promote electric vehicle use, so new charging points, that sort of thing which of course is very relevant, not just to the sort of way that we live our lives and attempts to uh, get uh, the nation moving, but protect the environment, but also very important to many of the industries in uh, the North and the Midlands, uh, both the car industry and the huge supply supply chains that surround that. So a lot to talk about in the uh, party conference, but nonetheless, despite the government's very best efforts and the Tory leadership's best efforts, I think it is going to be dominated by the financial crisis that uh, seems to have hit this country. Now, 
you mentioned levelling up and obviously there'll be quite a few Conservative MPs at this conference who were elected in 2019 in red wall seats and are now uh, looking for uh, evidence that the government is going to be able to offer them something to put on their election leaflets when they stand again in two years time. Uh, John Stevenson, obviously the head of the Northern Research Group, is our guest on the the podcast uh, this this week. But what are you... I mean, that, that's a big concern, isn't it, for, for a lot of Northern MPs, of what, what's going on with the economy at the moment. They they do fear that they're, it, it's materially damaging their chances of getting back in again in 2024, assuming that's when the next election is. Yeah, and they're very keen that the government continues to invest in the North, uh, both in infrastructure and in things like skills, and also that the government continues with the devolution agenda which they've really bought into um giving more powers to mayoral combined authorities and creating combined authorities in areas that don't want to have mayors i mean the the message from a lot of conservative mps in the north that i've spoken to is that actually boris johnson's approach was rather good they think that his message really did work with northern voters um and in fact some of them have said that actually it began before johnson that the the idea that this all began in 2019 or even 2017 was slightly wrong and the shift of the Tories began as far back as uh, 2010. But the message that the Tories are sort of the party of the North and that they care about the North, that resonates. They think it works, but they say Northern voters want to see evidence that the party is delivering, that it's actually as good as its word and is keeping its promises. And they want to see sort of very concrete evidence that uh, things are getting better in the north of England and that uh, money is coming in to invest in the region. So th- that's a message that I think they're going to be sending to the party leadership. And they'll also be stressing that um, the next general election, so they say, is going to be won or lost in the north and to some extent in the Midlands, that these voters are really important. And if this Trust wants to remain Prime Minister after the next election, she needs to prove to people across the north and across the midlands that she is serious about what we used to call might still be calling leveling up and that she's actually making it happen let's see what happens there john walker thank you so much for speaking to us today height of this summer, the North's Conservative MPs and activists gathered together at Doncaster Racecourse for the first ever conference organised by the Northern Research Group to get our region back on the agenda. The aim had been to refocus Boris Johnson and his administration on his pre-election promises of levelling up, but the Prime Minister didn't show up, and a few weeks later he was out of a job. Fast forward to late September 2022 and things look very different. There's a new Prime Minister in the form of Liz Truss and a new Chair of the Northern Research Group, with Lancashire MP Jake Berry leaving the role to become Chairman of the Conservative Party. His replacement on the influential backbench group, which pressurises the government for greater investment in the North, is the Carlisle MP John Stevenson. And as the Conservatives prepare for their annual conference, a massive 17 points behind Labour in the polls and being blamed for the country's economic turmoil, what will the message be? to government from the Northern MPs hoping to get re-elected in two years' time. So let's hear from John Stevenson. Welcome. We've got a very different context now for the NRG, don't we, John, with a a new Prime Minister who is seemingly not putting levelling up at the heart of her agenda 
in the same way that Boris Johnson did. So what's your strategy for ensuring the North's voice is heard? Well, I don't think as much has changed as people sometimes think. We all got elected on a manifesto in 2019, which was about levelling up. And during the hustings in Parliament, all the candidates, including the new Prime Minister, did make a commitment to continuing with levelling up and improving the North. But the role of the NRG is to make sure that that does in fact happen. And we will, of course, be holding government to account with regards to the levelling up agenda and making sure that we actually see um, delivery. completely buy into the growth agenda because in many respects that's what levelling up is about. It's about growing the economy in the north of England to catch up with other parts of the country and improving the lives of our constituents right across the north of England. And in many respects there's two parts to this. One is obviously the economic agenda which the Chancellor has set out and secondly there is a political agenda because as you know and we all know the next election the battleground will be the north and the midlands of this country and the red wall seats will be critical to ensuring that there is a Conservative government after the next election. Do you think Liz Truss has a different view to Boris Johnson on what levelling up means and its importance? Because I think we've heard her say that her priority is not redistribution of funds, which you could argue form part of Boris Johnson's strategy, but growing the economy more more generally, sort of growing the pie. Uh, Does that mean she's going to favour... London and the South East and the North won't be as high in her thoughts as perhaps it was in Boris Johnson's? Well, I very much agree with her view that we want to grow the pie, make it bigger, because that benefits us all, improves public services, improves individual lives. But I think she has recognised, and we will continue to emphasise this, that growing the pie, we have to make sure that the North, in many respects, catches up in parts uh, in comparison with parts of the south of England. We don't want London not to be successful. Indeed, I want London and the southeast to continue to be successful. But we do need to close the gap between the other regions and the more successful parts of the country. And that, in many respects, is what levelling up was all about. So we need to see growth in the economy, but we need to see growth, in many respects, at a faster rate in other parts of the country than the south. And that will involve private sector investment. But this is also where the government's role comes in for example, in skills, on infrastructure spending, and making sure that we actually create the environment in places like the north of England, where actually the economy can grow, and where the private sector will be incentivised and interested in investing. That is is the way to close the gap. Now, during the Tory leadership contest, the NRG got Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak to sign for so-called Northern Agenda pledges, which included having a Minister for the North at the Cabinet table, a levelling up formula to equalise government spending, and two vocational institutions in the North, which would be sort of the equivalent of Oxford and Cambridge. Now, from what you've heard from the PM so far, how confident are you that she'll keep her word on, on those promises? Well, I think the fact that the Secretary of State for um, Dulux is in fact... Uh, a a Member of Parliament for the North, I think is really positive. And then the uh, Secretary of State for Education is already taking an interest in the concept of the uh, institutions in the North of England. So you're already seeing the government look at the agenda that was set out by the NRG. And we have... I guess it's not quite the same as... Not quite the same as having a Minister for the North directly, though, is it? I know Jake Berry made the argument that levelling up Secretary Simon Clark was the Minister for the North, which... 
I don't know, it seemed a bit weird to me because surely as levelling up secretary, you're minister for the South, East and West as well. You can't be purely minister for the North and levelling up secretary. Of course, of course, yes. Of course, yes. But he is, a, you know, he is a Northern MP, which will have a degree of emphasis on the North. But we accept that he is a minister right across the department. And our preference would have been a specific minister for the North, as there has been in the past. And I think, interestingly enough, when Jake Berry was the Northern Powerhouse Minister, it proved to be very successful. And I can give evidence of that by what happened with the Borderlands Growth Initiative in my area, where he was the minister involved and responsible, along with the Secretary of State for Scotland. So I accept that, that, but we do at least have a minister who represents a northern constituency, understands the north, and will bring that experience to his job. So I've got to ask you, John, about the the government's mini-budget, because it's sort of the big political issue on the agenda at the moment, and the, the tax cuts and other measures that were contained within it. And I think it's fair to say uh, it hasn't landed well in a, in, in, in a few uh, places. I mean, what do your constituents in Carlisle make of the fact that the very wealthiest are being given tax breaks, while many people locally are going to struggle to keep the lights on and put food on the table? I mean, regardless of the economic arguments, from a sort of political optics point of view, it doesn't look that great, does it? Well, I wholly agree with that. I think you've got to look at it um, across the piece because there's different elements to this. Um, first of all, the growth agenda is one I think we would all buy into and support. And as we've already discussed, I want to see the north of England grow at a faster rate so that we can actually close the gap and improve the lives of people in the north of England. How we go about achieving that is what is also important. Now, there's one element of that has come out in the mini budget, which is tax cuts. And they are for all people as well as the um, wealthier. But the bit they have missed so far, and something I think the NRG will take a particular interest in, is where government spending is going to be applied, particularly with regards to capital expenditure in terms of infrastructure, the skills agenda, the environmental agenda, and those things, and how they can incentivize and bring private sector investment to the north. So I think that's a side of the equation we haven't seen yet. I'm assuming it will be delivered on the 23rd of November. And the NRG will be taking a particular interest in that because it's very relevant to our individual uh, constituencies. On the tax cuts issue, which you've highlighted, um, I think we almost always remember that the wealthier in our society do actually pay considerably more in tax, and rightly so. Uh, And importantly, at the local level, um, we are seeing tax cuts for those who are at lower income levels. And when I think of the other successes of the government over the last 10 years has been raising the minimum wage significantly, which does help places like Carlisle and my constituency. And in the past, we raised the personal allowance well above inflation. Now we're doing an alternative route, which is reducing the actual level of tax. But at the end of the day, what matters far, far more is actually growing the economy, increasing prosperity, improving productivity. That is how we make people who live in Carlisle wealthier, people who live in the north of England wealthier, and our country as a whole more prosperous. Now, my final question, John, because I know uh, the time is time is short. You've got a, a nice, solid 8,000-seat majority in Carlisle, but quite a few MPs in the Northern Research Group who won their seats from Labour in 2019 are sitting on much slenderer majorities. Liz Truss says her growth plan will work for the North as well as just the South East. But do you think it's realistic for people in much of the North to be seeing any material benefits 
to their lives from uh, Tresonomics, to put it uh, in one way, by the time of the next general election? I, I think the agenda and the um, policies of the Conservatives are ones that resonate with people in the north of England. I think the problem in many respects was Labour didn't deliver. People got fed up with Labour saying they would do things and never actually did it. I think what we are proposing and have offered is uh, something that is popular in the north. The challenge that we now have over the next 18 months leading up to the next general election is actually starting to deliver and be seen to be delivering. And that is something that my group of MPs will be very interested in uh, because that will, I think, be part of the battleground at the next general election. Have we actually delivered for the people of the north of England? I think we certainly um, resonate with them. I think the policy agenda that we have had is one that they, that they like and is appealing to them, but they now need to see us starting to actually deliver that. John Stevenson, thank you very much for speaking to us today. Imagine a Labour government. It's easy if you try. Those were the John Lennon-inspired words of Liverpool City Region Mayor Steve Rotherham to his Labour colleagues this week as the party's annual conference returned to Merseyside. But as the political circus packs up and heads off to Birmingham after four days of largely smooth sailing for Labour on Liverpool's waterfront, what do Keir Starmer's plans mean for the city and the surrounding boroughs? Labour's plan is to turn the UK into a green growth superpower and create a state-owned company, Great British Energy, which would invest in clean energy schemes. In the Liverpool city region, some of renewable energy schemes, specifically wind, tidal and hydrogen projects, are already underway. But how much progress are they making and what contribution could they make to the country's net zero ambitions? Let's ask Steve Rotherham himself. So Steve, welcome to the podcast. Oh, it's a great pleasure. Great pleasure to have you on. We've had a few technical difficulties, but I think we've got <laughs> it sorted. Hopefully it will sound okay. So Fingers crossed. Yes. So I'll ask you first about um, Keir Starmer's speech, if you don't mind, Steve. It's been well received by most people. I mean, did it have everything in it that you wanted to hear? Well, it, it should have been well received because, in all honesty, um, I've sat through many leaders' speeches and many different leaders' speeches over many years, in fact, decades, and... Uh, I think there was an awful lot in this one, especially it has to be said for areas like ourselves, you know, areas in the north who are trying to forge their own identities, a new identity in our case. Um, and Great British Energy is a boost to my ambitions on, on tidal, uh, on hydrogen, on carbon capture, on wind. So that that's brilliant. But the first, almost the first words out of the leader's mouth were around the hills below now, and we've been fighting for many, many years. In fact, you know, this city has been fighting for decades to try to get um, the rest of the country to understand why it was so important for them to clear the names of the 96, now the 97, and also to ensure that nobody goes through what those families had to go to go, go through um, for all of that awful time. And that's what the Hillsborough Law will do. And then there was stuff about on tackling the housing crisis, which is a, a real issue for us here. So with the government in shambles, I thought for us and for the country, there was a genuine quality alternative vision for how we can um, take this country properly into the 21st century. 
That's really interesting. Now, you've spoken a lot about the massive potential to generate renewable energy in your part of the world. Projects like the Mersey Tidal Power Project, which could harness the wave to generate enough power for up to one million homes. So obviously these, I mean, Keir Starmer and Rachel Reeves have been talking about, uh, you know, the, the, the green energy revolution and what they would like to do if Labour were in government. But, you know, some of the some of your schemes in the Liverpool city region are already underway. I mean, how how far progressed are they? And, and would a Labour government help you deliver them sort of faster and better than you are doing at the moment? Well, I think a, a Labour government wouldn't just accelerate the opportunities for us. It would literally uh, put turbo charges behind what we're already planning on doing. And the issue for us on Mersey Tidal, for instance, is that, as we know, it's it's new technology. There's nowhere here really that's done it. We know about Swansea Bay, of course, and the issues that they had. But the River Mersey, which has been the lifeblood of our fortunes for centuries, has one of the largest ebb and flows. Uh, the tidal range itself is about 11 metres. So it, it for us, it could generate huge quantities of green energy, but we also want to use hydrolysis or electrolysis to create green hydrogen as well. And that's the real prize for areas like ours who are already investing in transport and uh, in uh, energy-intensive industries uh, to try to get them decarbonized. So having a green supply of hydrogen is the ultimate prize for us. But I think there's an awful lot in it that we could take comfort from. And it's only a Labour government that seems to be at this moment in time matching our ambitions. But I'm going to Tory party conference next week. So let's see what they have to say. Eh? Oh, you'll be going to Birmingham, will you, for, for the Tory conference? Yeah, I mean, there's plenty that we're doing here that I want to share. And I, I'll, I'll share it with anyone. I'll go to the Lib Dems if I'm invited. But we, we want to uh, explain what Liverpool and the Liverpool City region is really about and not some of the salacious headlines that the right-wing media would have you believe. And do you, do you feel like you're getting much support? Is the Liverpool City region getting much support for the, 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 the green energy schemes that you're trying to put into place from the government at the moment or are they holding back a bit in your, in your view? No, we've had nothing. We've had no support at all for Mersey Tidal. And so we've developed that and collected the IP um, ourselves, we, we've we've funded that, and the uh, opportunity for us to do that means that it's not just about the scheme itself, but we also want to see whether we can modularize it to potentially export around the world. Because if we make this thing work, and then um, we've got, for instance, Camelodo over the water from where I currently am sitting, um, they might be able to do this for other areas. Uh, and uh, as I say, that could be a, a huge boost in exports for UK PLC. Now, going back to conference a bit, I, I spent a little time uh, there this week, and it's fair to say that there were a lot more concrete policy ideas coming out of Labour politicians than perhaps has been the case in the past couple of conferences. So we know a lot more now about what Labour would do in government. But does that change how you deal with the existing Conservative government. I mean, are, are you still planning to engage with what Liz Truss's administration is offering? Things like, you know, these low tax investment zones, or are you just thinking, you know, in two years' time there'll be a Labour government, so I'll just hang in until then, and I, I don't need to worry too much about what what the 
Tories are doing because they won't be around for too long. Well, I'm, I hope, I'm hoping, in all honesty, that um, you're wrong on the there'll be a Labour government in two years because I'm predicting there's going to be a Labour government by the time the party conference season comes around next year. So um, we, we'll see how that one sits. But look, you have to work with the government of the day and, and we're desperate for them to match our ambitions on some of the things that we've, we've been promoting. We put forward an, an investment uh, portfolio to government with billions of pounds worth of shovel-ready projects that will give this country a return. We're not asking for handouts. We're asking for genuine investment. And there are private sector organisations that would like to do some of these things. I'm, look, I'm not against your ventures, but I'm not handing over the crown jewels to private companies. We want to do things ourselves. We want to retain um, some of the benefits of those investments and that's the best way that we can do it. Uh, but we'll we'll see what we with um, after this you know, chaotic period uh, within the, the Tory party, if things settle down and whether we've got secretaries of state that lasts you know, longer than a few days. And what makes you think by this time next year, there might be a Labour government? You think it's, it, it, it's things are going wrong so fast that it's going to be, you know, think things will become untenable for this administration in, in, in the coming months, I guess. Well, Friday has done them no favours whatsoever, has it, with the uh, the fiscal event. But I al- already saw, if you like talking about Tidal, the tides of change around the country. And we obviously go around and, and meet lots of people in lots of different places. And, and there seems to be a realisation, doesn't there, that one, um, Johnson you know, told lies to people and that all of that hyperbole and... and, and um, frankly, uh, nonsense about levelling up really came home to roost. You know, promising people that you'll level things up is one thing, but then demonstrating it is something else. So, for instance, for the former Chancellor uh, to have had money pumped into his area, £158 per person, when an area which in the indices of multiple deprivation ranks far, far higher um, in Nosley. Um, called Heighton to get no pounds, no pence. For me, just demonstrated what an absolute folly it was. And for those people who believed in it, and I never did, um, that it was never meant to do what it said on the tin. Uh, and, you know, the, the fact that on Friday it seems that levelling up is now dead, then we'll have to find other mechanisms working with the, the current government. Um, to try to see whether we can get some of those projects still funded. Yeah. So speaking of, uh, you know, your uh, relations with central government, I see on transport in the Liverpool city region, there's a lot going on locally. You've got your £2 maximum bus fares, a new fleet of trains, hydrogen buses. All of that will hopefully go some way to persuading people to get out of their cars and into public transport in the future. But in the present as you'll be aware, around the north, people still aren't returning to buses uh, and public transport in high enough numbers. And the result of that is that, you know, in, in, in Merseyside and elsewhere, there are cuts to bus services. You want to take the buses under public control, as Andy Burnham is doing in Greater Manchester, to get that London-style transport system. Is that a genuinely achievable aim in out, outside the capital uh, in a part of the country where you know the economy 
is quite different to that of London. Do you, do you think a London-style transport system is possible in the Liverpool City region? There's a general realisation that Thatcher's disastrous um, deregulation of buses back in 85, I think it was, um, has, has not done what we all knew at the time uh, the Tories claimed that it would do. And, you know, the, the thing about competition bringing down fares and that it'll be a better quality service and that, you know, there'll, there'll be a panacea of public transport. It never happened. In fact, what you ended up with was monopolies and duopolies, and we've got one in our city region. So is it a realistic proposition? Yes, it is. And uh, whilst I have to say, you know, I speak to Andy all the time, nearly every day, they've done brilliant in Greater Manchester, but they were years ahead of us because they had the Association of Greater Manchester Authorities, and we had nothing like that. But if you have a look where we are now, we're about nine months behind where they are. So whilst they will roll out uh, before us, we won't be far behind them. And some of the things that we've done that you've mentioned about the fares, you know, and Greater Manchester have done £2 fares as well, um, are brilliant. But we've gone further. We're building brand new rail stations. We're investing half a billion pounds into publicly owned rolling stock, the most sophisticated trains in the whole country and the most accessible designed by the people for the people. So we're doing some really great stuff, but we want to integrate it into our active travel network as well. And there's much more that we need to do on that, but we're going to spend 42, sorry, we spent 42 million and we're going to spend more on, do you know the pinch points between those great big long stretches that you have of, of really um, good infrastructure? Those uh, really tricky engineering solutions will be found to joining those up so that we can create this network, this uh, this link, uh, this loop right the way around the city region and all six districts. Um, can I ask you about devolution in general, Steve? So um, the shadow levelling up secretary, Lisa Nandy, has during conference attacked the government's approach to devolution as offensive. And she says that local areas need what she describes as German style autonomy, where basically you you list the powers that you want and those are sort of repatriated from central government. I mean, would you go along with that as a, as a view? And what, what powers would you like to have in the Liverpool city region that you, that you don't at the moment? I was in Germany. It's, it's you know, um, a, a site that you should mention about what Lisa said. I was with her last night, but I was in Germany last week looking at the federal structure and looking at how devolution really works and actually, we haven't got devolution. We, I call it devolution, but it's not real devolution. It's decentralization uh, because what happens with the funding that we receive is that it's always ring-fenced. And devolution, of course, you get a single pot and you spend that as you see fit. And, of course, then you have to stand or fall on your record when you go to be re-elected. And, and that's what we would really like. We would like a single pot approach. But the bits that we do have some uh, devolution, if you like, decentralisation on. We've done remarkably well. And, and, and I'm not, not just saying that because uh, I think we've done great here. The Treasury, who, who count pound notes, they think we've done well. They think that they get a bigger bang for their book. Um, we are able to do things and use funding differently and respond nimbly 
to the needs of a local area. Now, a monolith like central government could never, ever do that and wouldn't know, you know, where Bootle and Kirby are on the map. Certainly wouldn't know Kirby and West Kirby. Uh, so there's lots and lots of potential, but we all believe that we should have further powers. If you want just one of those powers, there's money that's being raised through the apprenticeship levy that sits in an account somewhere in central government not doing what it was raised to do, and that was to address the skills shortages and skills gaps in our economy. I speak to businesses all the time, and their main complaint is that they can't get people with the right qualifications or the right skills. And I guess what? We're set up to do that, and yet they won't devolve pots of money down to us from the apprenticeship levy because we know what our demand is and we could address the supply problems, but the government refused to do that. Now, that's an easy hit for them. So let's see next week whether there's any movements on that at all. Now, the final thing I just wanted to ask you in relation to sort of powers that mayors and local authorities might have. At conference this week, one of the ideas I heard floated in relation to Liverpool, and it was actually raised by uh, Liam Robinson, a local councillor, was uh, whether you could have a a tourism tax or a tourist tax like certain other European cities have. So you levy, for example, £5 or however, however much on a hotel stay or something like that for tourists, and you use that money to invest in the city or the city region's tourism economy. I mean, does that sound like a good thing to you? Is that, Do you think that's a possible idea that could work? Well, given that it's one of my ideas, well, not my original idea, but one of the suggestions for further devolution, of course I agree with that. And, and look, Liam's absolutely right, isn't he, about what we could do with that because it's not just raising a levy on something. It's what you could do with the funding that you accumulate from, from that process. Uh, and I've been, you know, as I say, just recently, to a, a European city, you get a, a levy, you get a, a, a local tax wherever you go. They then use that for infrastructure projects. And sometimes you go around and think, look at the wonderful transport system or look, look at how clean and tidy this area is. Or what. Well, lots of that is paid through a tourism tax. So I've asked governments to see whether they would pilot a tourism tax in Liverpool. And the reason that um, we'd, we'd want to do it in, in Liverpool and then in the Liverpool city region is because the visitor economy is so important to us. It's 55,000 jobs and about £5.2 billion in GVA to us. So hugely important sector. And we could raise significant amounts that we could put back into cultural programmes. You know, it's not going to be spent um, on sort of day-to-day -day services. It would be about additionality. And that's where we'd really like to, to see whether we can uh, be a petri dish for, for the rest of the country. And did government seem receptive to this idea or have they not got back to you yet? Uh, it's one of those, isn't it? And do you know what happens? is You seem to be making progress and then, of course, uh, the next Secretary of State comes along because someone's been sacked and you have to start from square one. And that's been our problem, really, with this government, that you, you, there's just nobody who's been in place. Well, of course... Currently, there's nobody being in place for more than a few weeks, but there was nobody in place long enough for us to develop those relationships so that we can get some of these great ideas over the line. Yeah. 
uh, well, I guess you'll be hopefully making the case to uh, Simon Clark if you're in Birmingham uh, for the Tory Tory conference. Maybe you'll have a chance to, uh, to to put that point to him. Um, Steve Rotherham, Liverpool City Region Metro Mayor, thank you very much. Oh, thank you. Brilliant. for listening to the northern agenda podcast and don't forget you can subscribe to our daily newsletter at thenorthernagenda.co.uk it's more important than ever for northern voices to be heard the northern agenda is a laudable production for reach it's presented by me rob parsons and dan o'donoghue and it's produced by daniel j mclaughlin if you enjoyed this episode please subscribe to the northern agenda wherever you listen to your podcasts including apple and spotify see you next week